gosh, that's a long intro. I was I should have queued this up. My apologies, but uh, thank you for joining me on the Meg Ellison show. It seems sort of morose, doesn't it? I mean, I think it does pick up. There we go. That's where I should have had it queued up. This is, of course, in honor of our metal-loving next guest, Adam Schwarzy. He's my peep from my home state. I should say my birth state of Minnesota. It's been a well. He's gonna be. He is gonna become. If he hasn't yet, he's gonna become a frequent guest. I know our listeners love when he joins the show. Um, if you have not had the privilege of hearing him on this show, I'm gonna share his intro with you. Retired Navy SEAL officer in the United States. Marine Adam Schwarzy is a highly decorated combat veteran with expansive international experience and a lifelong servant leader. He has deployed nine times, nine, and traveled to over 70 countries in service to his nation. And in 2021, he received his master's degree from Harvard in international relations. He has completed additional coursework to receive additional master's certificates in international security and in nuclear deterrence from Harvard. Adam is currently working on his master's in business administration. Ask him if he's busy. Okay, I'll ask him that. And master's in government at Johns Hopkins. In his 21-year career, Adam has experience working with multiple United States agencies in conducting direct action combat, intelligence, stability, peacekeeping, and humanitarian missions around the world. Good morning, Adam. How are you? Good morning, Meg. Thanks for the uh, very thorough intro. Yes, well, that's me. <laughs> thorough. Sorry, sorry about the intro. It was it started out a little quiet, but we, you know, we got to the no, point. No, it was great. It was a low build. Yeah, let it cook. <laughs> right, right. Yes, building up the suspense. Who's going to be on next? Well, Adam, I, thank you for joining me. And you know, I know that there are many topics in which we can. Um, well, we can discuss this morning. I did uh, send you an article that I thought would perhaps be a good starting point for us, and we can kind of see how much, uh, you know, how much time we have in covering it. We, when you were last on, we talked about. Um, now, I, uh, sadly, I'm forgetting his name. The the uh, uh, defense secretary that uh, Austin. There Lloyd, we go. Uh, Lloyd uh, Austin. Yes. Yeah. And how he. Mysteriously going to uh, get hauled before the uh, Congress, I think, on the 23rd. All right. Well, good. Thank you. Newsflash. So, um, but, uh, you know, he mysteriously disappeared for a bit. No big deal. You know, I mean, he doesn't have a he doesn't have a major responsibility to the United States. But anyway, we discussed that in our last conversation. Uh, this particular, uh, at least this article that uh, I shared with you um, about the Pentagon chief of staff and, well, uh, I mean, this was news to me. I, I, perhaps you were aware of this, but an Iranian immigrant um, has been was accused in September of 2023 of having worked with worked as an agent of the Tehran regime. And uh, you, you know, I think if if not for investigative journalists that actually do the work to research this, we probably wouldn't hear about this. Yeah, it's a very uh, interesting article. Definitely cause for concern uh, to not, you know, bury the lead as I've, you know, been formed in like the journalist world. I don't think she's a spy, but this is definitely a, a definitely a cause for concern. And, and the reason why, after reading the article, I just personally think it's more likely than not that she's not a spy is because at that specific uh, billet or job she was holding, 
she had to hold a, what's called a top secret clearance or TSSCI, you know, special compartment intensive. Like she has the, the next level, next level type clearances. And those are not cheap and they take a lot of time. So she would have had to undergone a counterintelligence polygraph, likely a lifestyle polygraph, an exhaustive background check that would take years to complete. Um, she was serving in multiple administrations. So not just this one, which, you know, if it was just this administration, I would be a lot more concerned because this administration has been um, disastrous in anything foreign policy or military related. But, you know, on both sides of the aisle, and as, a, as the article highlights, she was investigated numerous times by the Senate and Congress. So, uh, again, that just means she's faced a, a more intensive microscope. Um, so I, I think it's not likely she's a spy, but definitely an interesting article. But, but on, the, on the flip side, Meg, she definitely could be an intelligence asset because just last year we had a career ambassador, Victor Rocha, who was a life this – is, this is very scary um, – 40-year career service uh, for, in the Foreign Service, and he was part of that time he was advising the military Southern Command, and he was uh, – uh, the entire time he was, he was serving the United States as an ambassador – means he has access to the most highest level of classified information. He was a Cuban spy. And the only reason we caught him last year is because he's at a retirement home in, like, Florida, bragging to everybody how stupid the U.S. is and how he pulled the wool over our eyes. It was, like, almost accident that we caught him, you know, at the ripe age of 73 after all the uh, the damage is done. Okay, so, I, I mean, you, you make a very persuasive argument that this this uh, woman, it's and it's Ariane, uh, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I mean, I, you know, I guess I would, I would defer to you. However, I guess I'm, I'm very, um, I don't know. I've, I've grown somewhat cynical and, you know, as you suggest, she wasn't just part of this administration, but previous administrations. So perhaps that's a little bit more comforting, but in light of how woke our military is, it's, it's almost too difficult to not be, um, at least cynical, if not suspicious, of anyone that... That's, that's healthy in general. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Right. Well, and so I guess uh, I guess what I think about when we discuss something like this is how often do you suppose it happens that we have spies working in our federal government uh, in which we're not aware? That's, that's a really good question, and, and frankly, I don't know, because if they're spies, oh, one, I wouldn't know, know about it at my level. <laughs> right. Um, well, I mean, specula- but, but I speculative. I, I mean, to, to get to the base of your question that I do know, it, you know, having a, a you know a, still an active TSSCI clearance myself with some extra program readings for the stuff I was doing as, as a mission commander with the Navy SEAL teams, is you have this very um, important uh, juxtaposition, you know, it's a yin versus yang, uh, and either you're going to have a bureaucratic process and a very intensive security process, or you're going to have, you know, efficiency and expeditionary. And that plays out across, you know, our own men and women serving, getting their clearances and getting read-ins and the compartmentalization of programs. You have it when people, you know, foreign foreigners like, you know, uh, Chief of Staff Rain Tabatabai has coming over, and where I really see it, and this is really important, is on an international front when we're standing up either foreign aid programs or doing international business from the U.S. government to foreign entities, that process takes years uh, to, 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 vet, to vet. It's called human rights vetting. So if we're trying to like just give aid or even do like a, a project abroad, vetting people the right way takes time and takes a lot of money. 
And then, you know, you have China going to these countries. They don't care. They set up literally slave camps in Africa uh, quickly, and they're doing work, and then they're getting nation-preferred treaties out of it, and, and their, their processes are so much more quicker because they don't care about the human rights vetting, and they don't care about the security risk. So it's, 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 a, it's a give some to get some type situation. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And just when you say the word vetting, it's sort of, again— makes me cynical because how well have uh, those that have been brought to our country after, say, the Afghanistan withdrawal, how well have of those been those people been vetted? Uh, I mean, yeah. I, I can cite my own example here or, you know, a, a, an example close to home. Um, there was uh, an Afghani that was, uh, well, that was welcomed by our very leftist mayor uh, here in Wausau. Um, and shortly after he arrived, he was uh, arrested for sexual assault. And, yeah. and, and I mean, you know, I guess at the time, my question was, how, how are we preparing those that are coming, for, you know, with a completely yeah. different worldview? How are we preparing them to come to the United States and uh, acknowledge and accept our, yeah our social mores or our, you know, our, yeah. our way of life. And, and, and are we even doing that at all to begin with? We, we, we are here. I mean, really to get to the, the root of that problem is at all ties to the absolutely egregious failure, um, which was our, you know, failed withdrawal from Afghanistan. Uh, again, I've said it before and I, and I don't mean it in a, in a joking way, a drunk, uh, you know, private first class in the Marine Corps at 2 a.m., could have written a better withdrawal plan on a cocktail napkin while he's trying to pick up a girl at bar close. Oh, it was so um, egregiously bad the way we left weapons, the way we left American citizens on the ground, and you know also the way we left our allies just without a plan, without support. And, and, you, and then the, you know the flip side is you said we took in you know thousands of people last minute as we scrambled out of the country without a cohesive withdrawal plan. You know, we did take in thousands of Afghanistans without any sort of vetting process. But the flip side of that, Meg, and this is kind of near and dear to my heart, as you know, with all my deployments around the world, is we also had interpreters who have risked, personally, I've seen them risk their lives to save uh, military, my brothers and sisters on the ground. And we put in a place to try to, you know, vet them and bring them back over to the United States because now they're just all getting assassinated, essentially, the ones we left behind. And, and so the, the counterpoint is bringing people here unvetted. Well, we, I'm, I'm not even making this up. Of the thousands of interpreters we had throughout, like, Af Afghanistan and Iraq, we've brought, like, I think 15 back over because the, the vetting process is so stringent and the security is so tight. Like, it just doesn't make sense, right? We brought in thousands of unvetted, you know, citizens last second because of withdrawal plan. And then, you know, we have people who've actually risked their lives in, in a lot of cases have already been executed or you know, many, many times, sadly, their family members have all been executed because they were supporting us. They're left there with a, with a goat rope in their hands because we used to abandon them. And that's that's not OK either. Well, I mean, I understand. I mean, uh, the importance, I guess, or the value in having foreign born agents working within the United States government um, because they have a perspective and, and maybe they are more. Um, they're, they're real access, we, we call it access and placement. They have, they have access and placement. Just like it's important to have females working in intelligence 
and in special operations, and, you know, not as a necessarily an assaulter role, but females have access in places that, that uh, you know, a dude just doesn't have. Okay, so say, say that term more slowly so that I can understand what you said. Yeah, it, it, it's, it, we would refer to it as what's called access and placement. Access, and certainly any, got it. Access, yeah, yeah. Like uh, um, an example would be as, as an assaulter, if I'm going to go into a town to do like a Navy SEAL or even a, a conventional Marine mission, it's great to have females at the tip of the spear because they get information intelligence from other females. They get access into people's homes. Um, you know, they, they get to talk to people that, as again, as, a, as an assaulter, as a, as a male entering a village, I certainly don't have. Now, if you're talking about, a, you know, a, a foreign-born person, you're just you're, you're multiplying that, those, those, you know, those, those factors that make her more effective. Right, right. I'm sorry? I said their legitimacy to yeah, those exactly, whom they are exactly. trying to extract information. Okay, so when, when the United States military and, or the United States government recruits people like this, do they have to, and, and, you know, I don't mean that in a disrespectful way to people like this, just non-U.S. citizens. Um, do they have, yeah. are they asked to essentially denounce their country of origin and leave their country of origin's values and customs behind and embrace everything that is uniquely American? I, 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 I think it's kind of two different things. So, one, if they're trying to become a citizen, they have to pass the citizen standards, and I'm not exactly sure what that is. But for an example, just for my military ex- experience, there's thousands of people serving in the United States military, and probably even more so now since we can't recruit because the administration's made everybody hate America. Um, we've taken people that are not U.S. citizens into the military, which is kind of wild to think about, but they're not serving in an area where they get a clearance. They don't, they're, they're not getting... I don't think you can even have a, a secret clearance, let alone certainly not a top secret clearance, any sort of like compartmentalized, you know, add-ons to that without being a U.S. citizen. So they're serving as like administrators, cooks, supply, you know, things of that nature. Some, some maybe are in infantry, but, you know, they're not special operations because they have clearances to those types of roles. But as far as like, I think that the intent is that they assimilate to the military. And, and frankly, I know a lot of beautiful stories of people who did that exact process. They were not U.S. citizens. They served in the military, and then they were kind of quick, tra- you know, on a quick track because they served in the military to, to gain citizenship. And honestly, Meg, in my experience, those are the most ardent supporters of U.S. because they're generally coming from, from you know, nothing, you know, developing nations type scenarios, and you know, they're sending money back home to their family in those, you know, developing nations from their their, you know, menial paychecks from the U.S. military. But they are, you know, generally great supporters of the U.S. because they have real context, unlike the woke, you know, kids of today. All right. So um, I want to get to, I, I wrote this down so I can get back to it because I, you know, I want to say maybe we have a solution for <clears throat> where all the illegals can be serving our country. But um, let's, I just want to touch on uh, just the, the reason why I was motivated to ask this question about those foreign-born uh, individuals that come and work in our federal government uh, in these, I don't know if you want to call them, maybe I'm too dramatic or I've watched too many weird films, but um, in covert operations. So let's just take as an example, um, I'm, I presume you're familiar with her, Minnesota Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, and how it <laughs> seems to me that she doesn't pledge allegiance to the United States of America. 
Uh, she absolutely does not pledge allegiance. She is pretty much an open, you know, hate hater of America and certainly our values, which is uh, very ironic to me, you know, because she was an immigrant from Somalia, which is a failed state. Um, you know, has no security. I, I've witnessed, you know, doing operations in the Arabian Peninsula, hundreds of thousands uh, or tens of thousands of people fleeing Somalia when I was doing uh, the same SEAL missions that we lost our two brothers doing those those ship takedowns about a month ago. I kind of started that mission set, actually. Um, but, you know, these people are leaving Somalia in tiny little boats packed with thousands of people. And they, they know that when they reach the shores of Yemen, which is where they were going, that the women would be forced into the sex trade, the military-aged males would either be killed or given an AK and forced to fight for the Houthis. And that was their best outcome. Imagine how jacked up your, your own country has to be if you're going across an ocean in a little tiny raft and knowing that that's your outlook. Um, wild, right? And so you have you know Omar, who gets a, a pass, immigrates to the U.S., and then just spits on the country, our values, our flag. But, but I will say, Meg, as a, as a true... Um, person who believes in our constitution and, and elections, if we can't vote her out, you know, what does that say about our own values in Minnesota and you know, in Minneapolis and CD5? What does that say about us? If, if she's, I know they're primary her and her primary challengers get you know, stronger every cycle, but I believe in elections. I don't think we should be able to remove her just because you know, she, she literally would probably burn a flag and, 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 and smoke some hashish off of the ashes. I think that, you know, elections matter and we need to educate and not uh, not do the Democrats do, which is what, hilariously they're, you know, they're pulling Dean Phillips off the, the ballots and they're trying to kick Trump off the ballots. That is undemocratic. I just want to get truth. Truth is powerful, especially for our side. Yeah. Amen. So, it, well, and, and I mean, I think that's what's most perplexing and frankly disturbing about um, your fellow Minnesotans, my former fellow Minnesotans, is that uh, in 2022, uh, Ilhan Omar won 74% of the vote over, well, you know, I guess in credit to, well, not credit to the Republican Party of Minnesota, but a little-known Republican. Uh, you know, I know that she has now has, again, the same challenger uh, in, well, in this upcoming election, in, in a primary, I should say, the same challenger, yep. another Democrat, which, I mean, is... Is this person, I don't know if you know enough about him to comment, but I believe his name is Don Samuels. If, uh, if he indeed is a, a better alternative than Ilhan Omar. Um, that's a great question. Uh, you know, selfishly, uh, if we're talking for, for Minnesota CD5, uh, yes, any, any alternative is better, right? I would say a, a blue can of Pepsi that's running as a Democrat is you know, <laughs> not going to do damage like she does. Uh, but holistically, as, as you know, as far as Congress goes, uh, they raised tens of millions of dollars for the the con- Republican Party because of Omar. I mean, and Republicans are getting outraised by the Democrats this cycle. I think it's like eight to one. It's the most egregious fundraising uh, I think since 2014. That's why they're about to you know change leadership with Ronda McDaniel. Uh, but the fundraising is terrible. But what what never fails to fundraise is raising off of the loons like Omar and Jayapal and um, the other one in, in, in Washington and, and, you know, Michigan. So the squad raises tens of, actually between the three of them or eight of them, they raised tens or tens of millions of dollars. It's really um, you know, last disgusting. cycle they raised, I think, $13, $13 million just in that Minnesota CD5 race uh, against her. And that's not the CD5 candidate so much as Omar raising money against herself. <laughs> Gosh, well, and, and I mean, all the power to him because I, 
I have a, a, a good friend that uh, we went to high school together, and obviously in the Twin Cities. And uh, I asked her just, and I don't know if we've talked about this, so I'll 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 throw this on you next, and then we're going to take a quick break. But um, I, I I texted her, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, when um, gosh, I'm trying to think what what specifically. I, well, I mean, I'll I'll come up with it in a second why I was so disappointed or. D- discouraged by it but i said what the heck has happened to the republican party of oh i know what it was it has to do with the minnesota supreme court i mean i think there's only one conservative remaining on the minnesota supreme court and he's he's stepping down and i said what the heck has happened to the republican party of minnesota and she replied back to me it's pretty much non-existent it is i think the the party is in the MNGOP, I think, is actually in debt a few hundred thousand dollars. It's, it's like Michigan right now, complete disarray. Um, we just needed new branding and new leadership. And Republicans, in, in my opinion, Republicans across the nation were an older party. We're not embracing youth. We're not embracing social media. We're kind of to the point now where we're getting like the old and crotchety, you know, neighbor on the street who like doesn't like the kids playing outside. <laughs> but we're not recognizing is that there's nobody backfilling our ranks. And if we don't open up our aperture and, you know, invite new people, be more inclusive into our party, you know, we're, we're, we're going to continue to fail. I mean, we, we lose a popular vote more and more every national election cycle. And unless we, you know, make some dramatic changes to how we try to, you know, be more inclusive with our party, we're, we're going to continue to fail. Gee, that sounds familiar, Adam. Really familiar, as I am a citizen of Wisconsin. Okay, so we are at a uh, news break. Uh, Would you mind? Do you have time to hold over during the break, and we'll resume our conversation? Anything for you, Meg. It's always a pleasure. God, love you. Okay, well, hold tight. Adam Schwarzy, who makes the host look good every time, retired Navy SEAL officer in the United States Marine, he will rejo- rejoin me after this news break on the Mega Ellison Show on WSAU. Stay tuned. 